Let's pray together. Father, we ask that our time in your word tonight would cause us to see the see this world from your perspective, see our relationships from your perspective and uh, help it to uh, cause us to evaluate um, our interactions with one another, but with those uh, who, with whom we'd interact with in the coming days and weeks. And when the world and those in it would seek to divide us, we pray that because of what we see in your word tonight, that we would be more united than ever, and that we would have opportunities to draw others into that unity as well. So we ask you'll do this for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and please turn in your Bibles. Um, I'm going to have you look at a few different passages. There actually are quite a few that I'm going to reference, but I won't have you turn to all of them for the sake of time. But, but I do want you to look first at Matthew chapter 5 in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5 and the very end of the chapter. I greatly appreciated Steve Gilmore last week stepping in and teaching. He recorded his message, so I got to listen to it, and I thought it was fantastic. I hope you were here to also appreciate what he had to say about God's expectations for us in terms of loving our, remember what it was, loving our neighbors, good. And so his questions of, well, what is love, and who is our neighbor, and how do we show love to our neighbor, uh, were really, really helpful for us to think through. And as we're continuing to ask the question, okay, what does God expect from us now, in, in, I would say in addition to, or, or maybe a better way to say it would be another avenue of loving our neighbor, is, is this thing that Jesus calls loving our enemies. And I want to show us tonight how he views those really as one and the same concept. Uh, you, you can't love your neighbor fully unless you have also loved your enemy. And I think that's what Jesus means to teach us. You've got in your bulletin there just kind of a blank space for notes and I'm going to reference about eight different uh, categories as I go through. It's not that crucial that you get all of them, so I'm not going to linger and, and spend a lot of time on, on what they are. But after looking at what Jesus has to say in Matthew 5, I want to see where he gets that idea from a lot of different places in the Bible. Uh, I'll do this as quickly as we can so we save time to talk about it in our groups, but just so you can kind of understand how I want to go about this tonight. So Matthew 5, I'm going to start in verse... 43 and read through the end of the chapter. Jesus says, and this, and by the way, this is part of his uh, Sermon on the Mount. If you've heard of that, this is that famous sermon, this is where this comes from. So, Matthew 5 43, you have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good, 
and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, go ahead and uh, have, kind of have that in the back of your mind as sort of our main command, so to speak. But turn now to the Old Testament to see the first place and really the primary place where Jesus gets this command, and that's in the book of Leviticus. So go back to the very early part of the Old Testament. It's the third book of the Bible in Leviticus, and go to chapter 19. And I want us to see this command of Moses, this command that Moses wrote in the Old Testament to love your neighbor and see why Jesus pulls it out and explains it the way that he does. So in Leviticus 19, um, in the first couple of verses, we read that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So let's stop right there and ask this question. Why does God give the commands that he does? What is, what is God ultimately commanding or how, how could you boil all of these commands down? What is God really after? What, is, what does he say? How does he summarize it there in verse 2? What does he say? You can, talk, you can speak out loud. I would prefer that. Okay, to be like him, right? Because he is holy. Be holy because I am holy. So in all of the commands that God gives, every, every command that God gives, the reason behind it is because he wants you and I to be like him. All right, so these commands cause us, these commands really reveal God's character. In other words, they show us what God is like. He is holy. He is the Lord. And a lot of these commands, we're not going to read the whole section here, but a lot of these commands uh, are, are really taken from and, and in a way kind of repeat what we, th- what we call the Ten Commandments. So, for example, verse 3 uh, honor your father and mother. Revere your father and mother. Uh, also in verse 3, keep the Sabbath. Verse 4, have no other gods. Don't turn to idols. Don't make any gods of metal. Uh, down in verse 11, he says, you shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. All those are taken from uh, the Ten Commandments. Even verse 12, the last part there, where he talks about profaning the name of your God. He's, he's repeating that command to not take God's name in vain. So he's, he repeats these commands because he's concerned that people worship him properly. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you think about that when you come into a setting like this, but the reason that we even try to be pretty careful about how we structure our time together is because we want to worship God in the way that he commands us to worship him. So this isn't just haphazard or random. We're doing this because we want to show what he's like. And then you get down to verse, verse about uh, 17, and this is where you begin to see where Jesus specifically takes this, this one command from that we saw in Matthew 5. He says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, 
Notice he says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor, how? As yourself. Okay, I would venture to guess that none of us have much of a problem of loving ourselves. If anything, we go to the opposite extreme because sometimes we'll hear people say, I hate myself, okay? That's not, that's not healthy either, but more than that, we tend to struggle with we love ourselves. Like, we want ourselves to be exalted. We, we, and we're told here to love our neighbors as ourselves. Moses, in another place in the, in the Old Testament, uh, gives a lot of these same commands in ex- and you might probably just write this reference down. It'd be a good one to look up later. Exodus 23, 4 and 5. Exodus 23, 4 and 5. Maybe you could look this up in small groups. But as he's, as he's giving a lot of these same commands, he throws this one in there. He says, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray. Okay, so you can kind of picture that. Here, here's, here's an animal that belongs to my enemy and it's running off. If that happens, Moses says, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Now, does that sound like hating your neighbor? No, it's the opposite, right? It's love your neighbor. When you see your neighbor in trouble, when you see his possessions you know, being taken away or his animals running off or, you know, maybe we could modernize it and say something like his car broken down. Offer your assistance. This is the opposite of, of hatred. How did, how did later passages in the, uh, in, in the Old Testament understand this? Uh, we read from, from Psalm 7 earlier. There's earlier in that Psalm, uh, God gives this, uh, well, David gives this command praying to God, and he says, this is Psalm 7, verse 3, Lord my God, if I have done this, and here's what this is, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust." All right, so, so there's lots of psalms, and even Psalm 7 is one of them where David prays, Lord, rescue me from my enemies. So David's praying to be saved from his enemies, but guess what he also prays? He prays that he would not harm his enemies, that he would not steal from his enemies, that he would not plunder their goods without cause. Which means, I think, that David understands Moses' command to love your neighbor, not just meaning love your neighbor or your friends, but also love your enemy. All right, uh, Psalm twenty-five gives this command. So, uh, sorry, Proverbs twenty-five, Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-one and twenty-two. Solomon says, "If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink." For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. I think, that's, I think that's Solomon's way of saying, you will have more victory over your enemy if you show him kindness 
than if you oppose him, than if you go against him, if you fight against him. Provide for the needs of your enemies, and the Lord will reward you. Okay, so throughout the Old Testament, would you say that the Old Testament is commanding us to love our enemies or hate our enemies? What do you think? I would say love, right? Love your enemies. Okay, so then the question is, why did Jesus say to his listeners uh, that, they sh- that they would say, why was it that they would say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy? Like, where did they get that idea of hating your enemy? Did they get it from the Old Testament? I don't think so. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, because it's a natural human tendency. I think that has a lot to do with it. Okay, uh, let, me, let me read you some of these, some of these um, um, commentators. Why did they, if, if the command to hate your enemies was not found in the Old Testament, where did it come from? Uh, here's, here's what one says. The popular reasoning seems to have been that if God commands love for neighbor, then hatred for enemies is implicitly conceded and perhaps even authorized. In other words, if you just hear, love your neighbor, you might think, and like Aiden said, our flesh might think, well, I only have to love my neighbor. I don't have to love those who oppose me. So maybe you just would, would imply that, infer that. Um, another another uh, writer says, it's best to understand that hate your enemies was in an inevitable but unbiblical view that derived from putting together a number of other biblical texts and ideas. Uh, so, in other words, he, he kind of explains, these include various texts wherein individuals speak of hating their personal en- enemies and those who oppose the things of God, as well as the understanding that allowing God's enemies to, thr- to live and thrive in the promised land will be a snare to the faithful. However, he goes on to say this, none of these statements, which are descriptive rather than prescriptive, in other words, they're not commands, they just describe what God had done, none of those statements command the hating of one's enemies. And even the rare order to hate evil, in Amos 5.15, speaks to hating injustice, not exacting hell-bent destruction on individuals. So, are there places in the Old Testament where you could read things like, we are to hate wrong, and we are to hate wrongdoing, and we are to hate evil. Could you find those things in the Old Testament? The answer is yes, you could. In fact, we, we have. If you were with us uh, over the summer and we, we worked through Malachi, we saw some of those passages. And yet, loving our neighbor is all-inclusive and extends even to those who we would think of as our, as our enemies. So let's go back to think more about what Jesus meant by, by what he said. And to do this, I want to look, uh, and you should turn with me, to Luke chapter 6. Okay? Go to Luke this time. In the New Testament, third book of the New Testament, Luke chapter 6. And starting in verse 27, this is a passage that's going to sound a lot like what we read earlier in Matthew 5, and, and some, some think that this is the exact same account as the Sermon on the Mount, or at least a very, a very similar speech. It is at least very similar. See how, see how this is expressed here. See how Jesus 
Jesus is going to kind of put together all of those things we saw in the Old Testament. He says, But I say to you, who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So you can kind of, you can kind of put all that together and, and boil it down to, you know, to a few main points that Jesus is making. Jesus, Jesus is saying, show love to your enemies... Because that will show what sets you apart from sinners who, who love those who love them. And in doing that, you will show yourself to be a child of your Father. Because you will have been merciful just as your Father is merciful. That's how Jesus seemed to understand this command. Now, how did later New Testament writers... Uh, pick up on this. What else does the New Testament have to say about this? Uh, I'm going to read from Romans 12. Again, maybe you could turn there or maybe just write this one down to to look at uh, later this week or later tonight even. Romans 12, verses 14 to 21. Listen to, how, listen to how Paul explains some of these same commands, okay? Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And you can tell in that passage, if you listen closely, Paul's repeating a lot of the same things we read that Moses commanded and that Solomon commanded in Proverbs. There's one other uh, writer in the New Testament, Peter. 1 Peter 3, 9 uh, says a lot of these same things. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, 
but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, I want, I want you to think uh, specifically how those men, how Paul and Peter in their lives uh, applied this. Okay, because they didn't just write this and then not live it out. They actually had to, had to put this on display. Okay, so think about how. Because of their association with Jesus, both Paul and Peter were greatly opposed. If you, if you read the New Testament, you see that. They were opposed just like Jesus, even to the point of death. And, like Jesus, neither Paul nor Peter repaid evil for evil. Instead, they sought opportunities to bless those who persecuted them. So even as they write this, they are modeling how to live this out. Now, I, I want us to think about how you and I identify our enemies. So, so I, would, I would like for you to think, as you sit there, who is my enemy? Like, who in my life would I consider my enemy? And I made a list here of, of what came to my mind. And these are just categories, okay? I didn't make a list of people, so I'm not going to name names. Some of you are like, oh, man, am I on the list? No, this is, this is how we typically identify enemies, okay? So you tell me uh, if, if you think this is accurate, and probably you could think of more. Maybe that would be something worth talking about in your groups. This is how, how we uh, typically, not all the times, but some of us might tend to identify enemies, Okay? Um, those who attend a different church, those who don't attend church at all, uh, those who belong to a different denomination, those who criticize our opinions or our beliefs, those who attend a different school, those who cheer for different sports teams. Maybe you consider them your enemies. Those who support or vote for different candidates or political parties, sometimes we think of as our enemies. Uh, those who look differently than we do. Those who sound differently than we do. Those who get something that we deserved. I can't believe he got credit when I should have got credit. We think of those people as our enemies. Uh, those who keep us from getting what we want. I would have achieved something great if he didn't get in my way. He's my enemy. Uh, those who don't meet our standards, you know, they're not, they're not up to what I think they should be. Those who don't share our preferences. We don't have anything in common, so he's my enemy. She's my enemy. I'm sure there's lots of others. Those are, those are just some categories. Maybe even you, maybe either some certain names came to mind, some certain faces, some certain situations you've been in, and, and you've thought of people like that as your enemy. That's how we tend to identify enemies. Here's how the Bible identifies enemies. One, one, one phrase, I think, is what it comes down to. In Philippians 3.18, Paul uh, mentions a category of people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. There are people, and, and, and all of us fall into this category before we meet Christ, who are enemies of the cross of Christ. That's the one category of enemies that the New Testament seems to permit. 
those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. But even then, what's our command for those people? How, what are we to do with them and for them? Love them. So how do we love our enemies? There's, there's really two, two things I think I can say about this because I've already read enough passages to, that, that I think are applicable enough. I don't know how much more I could say, but I'll, I'll at least say this. Uh, how do we love our enemies? Obey the instructions of Jesus. Obey the instructions of Jesus. We've read from Matthew 5 and from Luke 6 all of the instructions, all the examples that he gives. Obey those. That's how you love your enemy. And observe the initiative of Jesus. What I mean by that is just pay attention to his life. Model what he modeled. Obey his instructions and observe his initiative, and you will love your enemies. And I want to close thinking about this. How did God show love for his enemies? If, if we are to love our enemies, and if part of loving our enemies is to observe the pattern of God in history and of the life of Jesus, how did God show that love for his enemies? Romans 5, verses 9 through 11. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood... Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Because if while we were enemies, who was enemies? Who were enemies? We were. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Do, do we understand what it means to be, to be reconciled? Do we understand that concept? Can someone maybe help me define that? What does that mean to be reconciled? Can you think of a, a definition or an example or an illustration? The concept is actually pretty simple. Okay, a relationship that was once at odds, where two people were once opposed to one another. You could say where, 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 where some were once enemies, they have now made peace. And their relationship is, is a peaceful one, whereas at once it was a hostile one. That's what it means to be reconciled. You and I have been reconciled to God because we were once at odds with God. We were at, at one time His Enemies, Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus, when you were his enemy died to reconcile you to him. That's how he loved his enemies. Because you were his enemies and he showed that love to you. Jesus is the one. Think about the commands that Jesus gave, what we read in, in, in Matthew 5 and in, and in Luke 6, and think about how those commands were actually lived out by Jesus himself. Jesus is the one who blessed those who cursed him. He offered salvation to the ones 
whose sins caused his suffering. Jesus is the one who prayed for those who abused him. He asked the Father to forgive those who put him to death. Jesus is the one who did not withhold his cloak or his tunic from the ones who took it away. In fact, he let them strip him naked before hanging him on the cross. And Jesus is the one who showed himself to be the true Son of God because Jesus was kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. And he was merciful even as as his Father was merciful. We were the enemies of God to whom God graciously extended his love. So, to those who right now may seem to be our enemies, let us graciously extend love to them because Jesus has done it for us. Let me pray. Father, I pray, I hope that we are humbled by what we read here about the way that you through your Son, Jesus, have extended love to us even when we were your enemies and have allowed us to be reconciled to you and and to be at peace with you. And I pray, Lord, that for, for us towards any who may seem to be our enemies, that we would love them, that, that we would seek their preferences more than ours, that we would be sacrificial towards them, that we would not exalt ourselves above them, but we would seek their own interest more than our own. And let us do that even at a time where all around us we see uh, divisions being set up and, and we see hostility and we see uh, just natural tendencies toward opposition. I pray that we would be those who even as we differ with people, it doesn't mean we don't disagree, it doesn't mean we don't have differences, but it means we love in spite of those differences. I pray you'd cause us to be that kind of people. In Jesus' name, amen.